0: Today's Wednesday. It is uh, June tenth, two thousand twenty, and we are about ready to begin our service. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this hour we have this evening. We pray that we will use it productively, that we will grow in grace and, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you for those who have joined us, and we pray for wisdom and knowledge as we pursue the plan. That is set before us. So, in Christ's name that we pray, amen. All right. Amen. So, so our normal course of study is in Romans chapter 8, and I believe we're around verse 14, but we'll take our time and uh, get there, but we will pause for some Q&A. So we're, we're going to open the floor for Q&A. <coughs>
1: Okay, I have a question on the table, and this is a question for anybody who would like to answer. Um, it's a pretty general question on the surface. Um, so, I was, I was speaking to my younger brother, Mr. Doug Presley, and uh, the question came up was, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> Some reason I contemplated that 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 phrase. What must I do to be saved? And Doug, as you recall, we talked about a couple of individuals who actually asked you that question. Yes. But um, anyway, Sunday mornings, uh, before I went to work, I was laying here in the bed, and I was listening to several uh, several uh, teachings. Uh, Joel Joel was one of them. And there was another pastor on TNT that I listened to. And at the end of their message, uh, both of them in their appeal uh, mentioned that the forgiveness, in in other words, confess with your heart uh, the forgiveness of your personal sins. Um, So, you know, when I was reading... I was reading in Acts today, and it says on Acts 2, chapter 38. I'm going to get right to it. I know I'm I'm babbling here.
0: Take your time. Peter
1: says, uh, Peter, Peter replied, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in my mind, all these events that I'm talking about, uh, you know, uh, we know we've, we've, the last four or five months, gone over the bad news uh, that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, in Adam all died, and Christ all shall be made alive. But the other scripture that's parallel is the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. There are scriptures, many, many scriptures, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, uh, We are saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what I'm saying is, in other words, the call we know, personal sins, is, in other words, Jesus purchased us with a price. In other words, we were purchased with a price. So, our personal sins. Uh, so, could you help clear anybody help clear this up in the middle? Where it is person in, th- in other words, is the confession of personal sins a prerequisite to salvation? Or is it believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved? Did he, you know, he saved us from the wages of sin? Is death that
0: condemnation through Adam or both necessary? That's a question for everybody. Good
2: question, Fred. Well, thanks for laying that out. Really good. So, Can I get a response
0: for that, please? Go right ahead, Dave. All
2: right, in fact, I guess he was telling them, just he's you know, the one that put Christ on the cross maybe change your mind about what you did. And all these people we know is says that believe in the Lord, you should find the doubt that you saved. But the Father already judged upon personal sin anyway. So why? I mean, uh, even though the easy thing, people always say that you must repent of your sins, but your sins have already been paid for. So the question is do the people know the bad news and then see the good news? So I'm looking at this whole the, the book in Acts, though. It's, the Bible looks not be interpreted about it in the time of which it written. So these people put Christ on the cross. That's why Peter said, Repent, you know, and which being you change your mind by what you did with Christ. So I don't think it regards the personal sin, because personal sin is not the issue. Because we know that Christ was the uh,
0: atonement for our sins, not only for us but for the whole world. So that's what I get that verse with that. Thanks, Dave. Uh, I think that. Well, oh, amen. Co- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Little... You have more? Go ahead. No, uh, I I uh, I just did you
1: know, what Dave just what he just uh, commented on. Uh, I well,
0: like that. All right, other thoughts out there.
1: Yeah, I'd like to um, address some of that. Go right ahead. Um, you know, one of the things that we know uh, from Scripture is to make a distinction between sins being paid for and forgiveness. They are essentially about two things, and I think the best, one of the best examples for both of those is in First John. So, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it's talking about he being Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, meaning the believers, the audience of John, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that was what David quoted as well. And so, what there's a couple of things that I understand from that verse. First of all is what is that propitiation about? And what does it mean and and who is the subject and object of that? Well, Christ is the propitiation for our sins, meaning that the Father is the one who is propitiated. He is completely satisfied that Christ paid the full debt for our personal sins. So these are all personal sins in the past, in the present of his time, and as well as future. We are future from his, from his crucifixion, and he paid for our sins as well. Um, and by that, what happens is, is basically when you get to the negotiating table and you ask that question, what must I do to be saved, personal sins is not even on the table anymore. That's already been dealt with. So, when you come to the table to say, what must I do to be saved, that topic of paying for sin won't even come up, because what the Father is interested in is, do you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone? Do you trust that He fully paid for your sin? And, there's nothing that you have to physically do to, you know, um, prove that. Otherwise, you would have something to boast about. And some people do boast about it, and, you know, they, they don't understand the dynamic of, of that transaction. So they, they think that, well, yes, Christ paid for all sins, but I need to be sorry for them as well. I need to feel the full weight of my guilt, in a sense. And so they, you know, they go on forever talking about um, constantly having to be in a position where they're repenting of their sin, as if they were trying to maintain their salvation. And yet we know salvation is guaranteed. We are given a deposit of the spirit as a guarantee for our inheritance. And the thing is that in John 2, 2, he makes it clear that it's not only for the believers, that these personal sins are paid for, it's also for the entire world. So whether whether or not you believe in Christ is immaterial. So whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ, your personal sins are not an issue. That's not what's going to cause you to go to the lake of fire. So the issue is, you know, do you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And that is what Will, that, that in itself will reconcile us with the Father, this, and this is the message that we have in 2 Corinthians chapter five. We have we are ambassadors to Christ, and we have the message that the Father is no longer holding the sins against us, and it is not. Why? Because Christ paid for every single personal sin that was ever committed or would be committed. So that is that takes care of the personal sin. Now the repenting that we hear about in uh, well there's two things I want to mention. Let me go back to um, forgiveness. So also in first John chapter one, we see a couple of verses that talk about um, you know, confessing our sins. And let me see if I can turn that yeah. First John one nine. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this the subject here is not salvation. So if we look at the context, the subject is fellowship. Are we or are we not walking in the light? Are we or are we not walking as Christ did? And so these are these are this is for believers and who have the opportunity, since they are saved, to walk in fellowship with the Father. And so the confessing of our sins is not beating ourselves up about it and feeling sorry for what we did and, and um, you know bearing the weight of them. It's simply agreeing with the Father that yes, we have missed the mark. And so when we do that, when we agree with the Father, when we come back into alignment with His eternal plan, we basically put ourselves in a position where we can resume where we left off. We're back on the path, and we are we have the um, opportunity to um, for fellowship. So He has cleansed us from all unrighteousness, meaning that you know He's not holding um, none of this is holding us back. We are now on His on, on His plan, so. Um so first John two two who talks about Christ being the propitiation for our sin. That's about wiping sins off the table. It's not an issue anymore. Uh, but first John one nine about confessing the sin, that's about already being saved and clearing the path to walk in fellowship with him again. And not walk in darkness, but walk in practice the truth and walk in the light, as like he is in the light. Um there was something else I just wanted to mention, but I forgot what it was. So we have that distinction that needs to be made um, for salvation. And salvation is not an act of doing anything. Otherwise, contrary to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you nine, I could do something close about it. You know, we could, we could brag about, oh, I, I confess my sins. I confess all of them. Do you confess yours? You, know, you better get busy and, and remember all of that. And if you don't remember them,
0: ask God to bring them to mind so that you can confess them. And uh, and, and that's all you know, that's that's the um that's religion of the world. That's not what, what God requires. So I'll stop there because I don't remember what else I was gonna bring up. Oh. Yeah, I think you, you you about hit it on the head there. I think both both you and Dave did. And uh other thoughts out there?
2: Yeah, one other thought would be uh, the fact that uh, he mentioned someone confessing their sins to be saved, <laughs> you know. And when, you con- when you're confessing your sins, you're confessing them to God. And basically, that's a prayer. Now, obviously, if you're confessing your sins to be saved, that means you're not saved. And we know that God doesn't hear the prayer of an unsaved person, so he can't even hear that prayer, <laughs> you know. So we confess our sins once we are saved, and we understand why we confess our sins. So it definitely cannot be a prerequisite for salvation.
0: So I think they so repented. Right, I think they uh, repented.
1: You know, I think all the all the responses are, are are strong, and they're they're exactly what I would have hoped and, and, and thought. Uh, so my thoughts were in my soul when I hear the appeal of uh, many of the Sunday pastors on, on TV and on the radio when they say confess with your heart and, and believe uh, it's kind of a false narrative that they set up and there's a lot of, de- there's a lot of danger there and it, it sets it up even if God accepts that plea for salvation, um, it, it sets up the wrong uh, motivation for the believer going forward, as the white mentioned.
2: I'm,
0: hear, I'm hearing some background life. noise. You can mute your phone. Uh, very... Okay, that's me. Let, me. let me find my phone.
2: Okay. I mean, the believer spends his life uh, basically
1: confessing his sins. In and out of sin, and uh, there's this, there's, it, it's, it's it's a total false narrative, which is kind of what I was seeing when I was listening to these pastors who were giving
2: the gospel. I'll shut up.
0: Oh, I think,
2: um, uh, I can... I... go ahead, Dwight. You remember? Have
1: one... yeah, yeah, let me add one thing because I, I remembered what I was going to mention next, and that was about repentance. Um, we, we often hear that. So, you know, when 1 John, I was talking about um, personal sin, you, know, you wipe off the table, non an in salvation. Um, confessing of sins is about after you're saved, getting back into fellowship. Um, but uh, repenting is something that's often used to say that you have to do something. Um, so, and, and some of it is scriptural, too. So they say and ah, ask, you know, what must I do to be saved? Well, you and your household believe and, you know, repent and believe. And we see in, in Romans 10, 9, um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it sounds like, well, I've got to do something. They're talking about confessing with your mouth. There's, how can you mistake that? Um the, the passage in Romans 10.9 is actually taken from uh, the Old Testament, and it was basically saying that it, it's right there. It doesn't mean that you physically, audibly, you know, have to state out your sin. It just means that it's already at the tip of your tongue. You know what the next step is, and that's what about, that's what repenting is about. Um, Repentance is simply changing your mind. It, it doesn't mean beat yourself up on yourself or anything like that, or you know, make sure you feel this intensely. It's, it's none of that. It's basically changing your mind. but it's mostly used in reference to Jesus talking to uh, the Jews because they were the ones that really had to change the direction of where they were going. They were the ones who had invested everything, their whole lifestyle, their identity and everything in the law. And now Jesus was telling them, nope, forget about that. This is all about Christ, and this is about grace. You're not, you know, the, the law is fulfilled in Christ, you know, not because of what you did. And so they really had to change their minds completely in order to um, see Christ for who he is, as the Messiah, and let go of their identity that they had before as, as a nation, Israel.
0: Uh, I'll, I'll stop there and, and let you finish. Oh, good, good. I think um, I think we pretty much covered all the bases. Uh, I think there was just a couple thoughts that I had uh, as I, as everyone was talking, and uh, I, I think uh, from what they were saying, I was able to think about a couple other things. And. But but it sounds like that is the right answer, uh, that these ministers have the wrong concept when it comes to salvation. Now, that's very dangerous because salvation is the door, <laughs> the very door that you need to get in. And if you don't have that right, man, I, I don't know. That's If you want to misconstrue that in any way or get the pe- person thinking the wrong thing, then you're you really barking up the wrong tree there. So, but you did mention Acts 2.38, and Dave, uh, I think Dave pretty much gave the thought about it. But just to be clear, and to zero in on that, it is uh, this thought, that these were obviously people who were there uh, at Christ's crucif... You know, when, when they were probably people who were in the crowd talking about crucify him, thinking that he was a false messiah. So that's why if you look in verse 37, it says, uh, when people heard this, when when they understood who Jesus was, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, brothers, what should we do? So this is a, a unique situation where these people had taken part were culpable in the crucifixion of the Messiah. Imagine that was you. I mean, Jesus came to save, you participate in crucifying him. If anything, you lost forever, right? That's what you should think in your head. Oh my gosh, what did I do? And Peter says, salvation is right there for these people. What do they need to do? Repent. Have a change of mind, be baptized, join our our body and every one of you, uh, every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The forgiveness of your sins means reconciliation. In fact, I know Dwight was basically saying this too. Every Every time you see forgiveness, it means reconciliation. So like we know what baptism, if I say, what is another word for baptism? All of you are saying identification in your head. I know it. Why? Because we taught that so much. But Whenever you see forgiveness, what does it mean? It means reconciliation. Here is these people were estranged from God. They're being reconciled to God. That's what repenting, having a change of their mind about Jesus Christ will do. And then when Dwight talked about reconcil- uh, repent- uh, forgiveness in First John, it's. Reconciliation to fellowship is bringing them back. They were out of fellowship, bringing them back to fellowship by confessing their sin. That's what it did. But that's for believers only, obviously. So that's a unique situation, Acts chapter 2. So no, there is no confessing your sins in order to be saved. That's a misnomer. In fact, uh, if you want to look at a good example of it, here's Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and this is just one thought here, the Ethiopian eunuch, it's a good example. Verse 30, 40, the the eunuch asked Philip, uh, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Let me confess my sins and be baptized. Is that what he said? Absolutely not. He just said, You know what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch? He believed. That's what he did. And I think Dwight misquoted the scripture in Acts 16 with the jailer. He says, Men and brothers, what must I do? This is after Paul and Silas. Uh, the miraculous uh, angel came and freed them from prison and the jailer was there and he said, what must I do to be saved? He had been listening to them. And and, and he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So there's, so the, the idea is, is just simply believe. That is it. Now, uh, joining the, joining the body is a, is an outward profession that you have switched sides. Now, Uh, not everybody gets to do that. Nobody, you know, it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of salvation, but it is, uh, if you are are a believer, then you are now in the body of other believers. That's the thought there. Uh, so now you got to grow in grace. So one other thought about, um, about the bad news. One thing to think about, and we need to be frank about, is that, uh, God is the one who condemned the entire human race in Adam. We're lost, not because of our personal sins. We were lost the moment, way back in the garden, that Adam sinned. So we would be born in Adam, and, and as a result of that, we are also uh, condemned, unrighteous, unrighteous. Have a sin nature and all the rest of it, and spiritually dead. That's the truth about all of us. It has nothing to do with our personal sins. And the reason why we're lost is not our personal sins. So when you think about what is the benefit of confessing your personal sins, it, it doesn't make any sense when you think about. What would be the benefit of confess you don't understand the bad news that's what that is to say that you think that you're, somehow your personal sins are what separate what's separate you from God and it's not your personal sins. Even if somehow you were able to muster in your life and this is not possible because we have a sin nature and all the rest of it, not to commit one personal sin in your life, would you be saved? would would God say, "Oh, you know what? Since you never committed any personal sins, you're automatically saved." Absolutely not. We're just as lost. <laughs> it has nothing to do with our personal sins. It has to do with Adam. So, this whole thing about feeling sorry for yourself and, you know, oh, remorseful about your sins and crying about how you've offended God and and all of that is wrong thinking. If anything, just like Philip, we see here, the guy, he he heard the good news. And what did he do? He believed and he said, hey, there's water over there. Why can't can't I be baptized right now? And Philip did it. He baptized him. So the idea that we are somehow supposed to be sorry or sorrowful, that all of us, are in, in sin. That's where we were born. And the more we understand the bad news, the better we can discard these false uh, attempts to try to make us acceptable to God. Well, God, you see, I'm I feel the same way you do. I'm just as sorry about my sins as you are. <laughs> I don't know what what you're thinking about when you're telling people to feel sorry for their sins. You try. Are you saying? that somehow their sins have some significance. Remember, Christ paid for every sin. I think Dwight and everybody brought the, that point out, that every sin you've ever committed has been poured out on Christ and judged. So it, it has nothing to do with your personal sins. Nothing to do. So when, I mean, and God is the one who who caused it to be that way in the first place, that that Adam's sin, would be passed down to every person who was born in Adam, who set that up. God set that up. So he knows that every person is a sinner. He knows the sins of every person because he had to collect them all and pour them out on Christ. He's not surprised by your sin. So this whole I'm feeling sorry, you know, remorseful, I have to cry, I have to dig up some sort of contrition is wrong thinking. You should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you will be saved. John doesn't have repent even in his whole book. And he says, these, I'm writing these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing, you might have life in his name. So that, that, that is the thought. We are, and to be even more frank, look, we are not even responsible for the position that we're in. We're not. It's not my fault that I was born a sinner. I didn't choose to to be a sinner. I was born a sinner. I'm a sinner by nature. I didn't do that. So what am I really feeling sorry about? What did I do that I had to feel sorry about? I did not choose to be a sinner. I did not choose to have a sin nature. So what is there for me to feel sorry about? What I better do is understand the bad news so that I can accept, by grace, the good news. It's not, it's not a matter of how I feel. Even if I did feel contrition and all that, it has nothing to do with my condition. How I think and what I think doesn't matter. It's only, what only matters is that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be saved. Your attitude, your none of that matters. And none of it says I'm even responsible for my personal sins because I have a sin nature. So no matter how you look at people in the whole world, I don't care, the worst person that you can think of right now. That person was born with a sin nature because they expressed it differently than you do. Does that make you better than them? No, it does not. They're a sinner just like you are a sinner. And they didn't, all they did was make decisions according to their sin nature. All you did was make decisions according to your sin nature. Christ didn't get to some sins and say, whoa, wait a minute. Now this is too hard. I'm not paying for that one. Nope. He paid for every sin completely. So we're not, if if that is the way he handled it, we're not to dwell on that point. Salvation and the good news should, is a moment in time. Once you believe it, you're done. You have eternal life. You have it. Now the business of growing up in Christ should be what takes the majority of your time, and and where you where you spend living the Christian way of life, not. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be where you take all this time to try to say you're saved, or to show God that you're worthy somehow of salvation. You, oh, you are saved. Now let's get on with the business of living. It's like being born. How often do we go back to that hospital we were born in and and reminisce and talk about how we were born and all that? It's over. You're here. Now it's time to get busy living. That's it. So. To be frank, that is it. And so they're off. That's the wrong thought, wrong way to try to tell people they're saved uh, uh, or that they have salvation. They simplified it to such a degree that it even doesn't even make sense anymore. So I'll pause. Question is completely answered by
1: all. Thank you.
0: Great question, Fred. Other questions out there? before we get into Romans.
1: Yeah, we should probably get into Romans, but I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, what you did about um, you know the, the fact that this is all Adam's fault.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's his fault.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <So> what, you, <laughs> that, it is so true, right?
1: It, it is, because what is it that we're required to do you know, as, as if we were
2: culpable. Yeah.
1: We're, we, we can't be. We can't be culpable for what he did and what, what God
0: did way back then. Yeah. Well, we accept um, we, we accept so, the responsibility, so one, right? We accept it. That if God says we're sinners, we, say, we don't say, well, God, it's not my fault. I'm not a sinner. You know what we say? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I got it. Well,
1: I, yeah, and basically we're disagreeing with his reality.
0: Yeah, if we did that, This is
1: what he says, and and we say, okay, all right, I I might feel differently about that because I might feel guilty about my sins or might feel that that would have something to do with it, but God's reality is that, no, your your sins had nothing to do with you becoming condemned or you're being born condemned.
0: That's right.
1: So why why would confessing our sins be the route to salvation? When our personal sins were not even what got us condemned
0: in the first place? Right, that's right. If you, especially if we're born that way, right? What do we? Ha- what, that, what choices did we have? I could see if, if uh, God no. checked me before I came into the world and said, "Doug, what boxes would you like to be checked in?" Right, and, and this is, and I made the choice, and then all of a sudden I lamented for some reason. No, mm-hmm. I came here. And God is the one who selected me to be here, not me. So when it, when verse uh, in Romans, a verse in Romans says, 714, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. And here, these last five, uh, six words, sold as a slave to sin. That's how Paul saw himself, sold as a slave to sin. That's how we got in the position we're in
2: yeah.
0: yeah we so if we so the more we project the proper attitude when we tell people the bad news and we help them understand what the conditions are, and I always say this, and I might as well say it now I don't want to blow the bad news up to the point where it is there's no hope for someone who has the bad news, but what I want to say is all that happened with Adam, sold as a slave to sin. All that. No one will be lost because of the bad news. So. It's, what? What? So, what's important about the bad news? Well, these artifacts, and what are we projecting here or protecting? Is the righteousness of God? That's what He's protecting. Now we may not understand that. We may think, well, you know. Um, God said, this is the way we got to do it. And that's just the way we got to do it. No, he, here's the way we have to do it because he's righteous, because he's righteous. And for him to condemn us and then for him to forgive everyone is the wisdom of God. That's what we find in Romans 11, right? We see that at the end where it says, uh, 1133. Oh, uh, well, well, actually, 11:32 for god has bound everyone over to disobedience who did it god did it god has bound everyone over to disobedience you didn't do it he did it so watch so what what did he why did he do that so that he may have mercy on them all that's the wisdom. And then the very next verse says it. what The depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. That's God's doing. It's not our doing. We didn't choose to get ourselves into this. And then we we've committed all these sins. And now we have to untangle ourselves out of all this mess. No. God has figured it out. So you have to believe the first part bound everybody over disobedience but you better believe the second part because that's the complete solution he has mercy on them all salvation is universal it's not based on where you live what race what oh i was raised muslim or i was raised hindu or i was raised so is for everybody salvation is complete god knew he knew what he was doing right so there's no loopholes okay Let's get on to looking at some more. Since we're already in Romans, that's easy, right? <laughs> Romans 8. We're in Romans 8. Looking at verse 14, but we'll lead up to it from 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about. Walking, right? Living. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So we want to just look at verse 14. For those who are led by the children of God are... (laughs) led by the Spirit of God, are the children of God. So, as you can see, where we came from is living. How to walk, how to conduct yourself in the spiritual life. You're saved? Okay. Salvation was by grace. Your salvation doesn't speak of who you are. It does say that you came to the crossroads of the issues of salvation and and the only reason you got there, obviously, was the Holy Spirit. He, he's been leading you along through common grace, got you to the point where now you understand the issues of salvation, and you chose to believe. That says something about you. It says you're a believer. Believer is, doesn't say anything about you part, in particular, you're like your good works or your. And believing is not a good work, because you are depending, trusting, and relying on somebody else to save you. You're not saving yourself by believing. All you're doing is saying to to God the Father, "I'm trusting in the provision that you made for me, and that is Christ. Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. So we trust in Christ, right? But we 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 don't do anything uh, in particular. So salvation is done, and. It doesn't speak to our character, doesn't say whether we love God, doesn't say whether we will walk according to truth, doesn't say we will grow up, doesn't say anything about um, us in particular. So our volition is important when it comes to the living phase because we have to make moment by moment, day by day decisions about walking in truth. So we're challenged in that. So we already talked about the differences between uh, what happens if we give ourselves to the impulses of the flesh. What will happen? What what does the impulses of the flesh look like? We covered that. And What happens if we give ourselves to them? Well, then we'll be involved in sin. That is not the spiritual life that God would have you live. Because he wants you to give yourself to the influence of that which is good. And that is the spirit leading you to all truth. All truth here is a reference to the plan of God. The plan from the Father. So if you are walking toward that plan. It is because the spirit has influenced you to do so. We would not walk according to truth. We would not want to do good works or... Uh, or behave <laughs> if it wasn't for God, the Holy Spirit. Every good that is in you, you better accredit or credit God, the Holy Spirit with uh, not only enlightening you to what it is, but empowering you to walk in it. What, what is our contribution to doing what is good? It's a decision. That's it. It's a volitional choice. Now, at the end of the day, what happens is we are rewarded for the decisions that we make. God will reward everyone according to whatever work he has done. That's Ephesians chapter 6. So we know that our decisions matter. And our decisions lead to us synergistically working with the Spirit to produce the fruit or the good works that come as a result of that decision. Good works are not just helping an old lady across the street, or, you know, giving money to the poor, or, you know, all these altruistic things that the world says. Those are not good works, per se. It could be, but not per se. Right? And if we want to define what good works are, then we could try to, then everybody will, be, will funnel all their attention to just those few things and say, okay, this is what good works are, unless you're doing these You know, and then they'll judge us by how well we manage that. That's not what it is at all. Good works have to do with uh, the Father's plan. They are directional. The Holy Spirit is, is leading us somewhere. He's not just leading us. He's leading us somewhere. And that is what is happening here in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God. And who are those who are led by the Spirit of God? Well, that goes back to um, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. Now, of course, it gives some qualifiers here so we can understand who that is. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So do you, you notice there's a term, the Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Truth, Holy Spirit, right? the Spirit. These are all terms for God, the Holy Spirit. And Spirit of Christ has to do with the fact that he influences us according to the mind of Christ. We should also note that Christ is Lord. So he's the one who uh, is is leading out here in, in the world, right? And, now, and especially in your life, right? He, we're not supposed to live our lives. Christ is supposed to be alive and living the life in our bodies down here on the earth. So, uh, so those who are led by the Spirit of God, that's an influence, who are influenced by the Spirit of God, are the children of God. So this is not a qualified, conditional verse. This is a factual verse now just think of it this way, right I could say, if you're led by the spirit of God, then that that means you are a child of God. well, then it might say to people, well, if I'm not led by the spirit of God, maybe I'm like like in these verses above where i'm if I give my mind to the flesh right then if i I'm not I'm not walking by the Spirit of God. I'm grieving the Spirit of God or quenching. We already talked about that in a weeks past. Then that means I'm not a child of God, according to this verse. right? For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. If we read it like if you are, then you're a child of God. But that's not how we read that. We read it as a statement of fact. And why do we need a statement of fact at this point in our narrative in Romans 8? Why do we need this? Because he's showing you the alternatives as well as what is normative. The alternatives, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Right? It, but if you by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Notice <laughs> I don't know if I've even covered this point in the verse, the, the last half of verse eight thirteen. Where it says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Notice, how do you put to death the misdeeds of the body? You just buckle up, you know, pull up your bootstraps, you work hard, you determine yourself, you know, you're determined not to sin or whatever it is. No. It has to be done by the Spirit. You do not have power in this scenario. You have to uh, yield to the influence of the spirit in order to even put to death the flesh. You can't kill the flesh as a believer. The spirit has to do it. So that's where the power is. The power of not only walking an empowered spiritual life, where he leads you into all truth, which is the father's plan. But it is also the power to overcome sin in your life. Uh, the cognate, the other scripture, sister scripture, is in Galatians, where it says, "If you are uh, walked by the Spirit, you will definitely not fulfill the lust the lusts of the flesh." Remember, the double negative was in that verse. Ume. So it's just, it's not just if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. No, it is a double negative, which means even more emphasis that you will definitely not. In other words, the power of the Spirit is much more powerful than the influence of the sin nature. And the power of the Spirit is the normal Christian life. That's what this verse is telling us. Through all the vicissitudes of of your struggling with the flesh, you need to know that the children of God have been given the Spirit of God to regulate normal conduct. That's what we have been given, the Spirit of God. So, for instance, when you were in Adam, what was regulating your conduct? It was the sin nature. And you didn't even know. Some of us were, I mean, well, none of us really knew unless you believed the bad news. You didn't know that we were sinners. We were by nature objects of wrath. We, we couldn't think through that and say, yep, I'm a sinner, and I, but I can't overcome it. The only reason Paul got to that in Romans seven is because of the Spirit that brought him to his knees in that area. But generally speaking, we don't recognize that we're in an Adam and sinners by nature, and uh, you know, produce personal sins that are offensive to God. We don't think about it that way. So, what we 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 see is there's a power over us. That's what we've come to learn as we understood the good news and learned about how the sin nature works, there's a power. and In fact, it's depicted metaphorically as slaves and the slave owner. right? We are slaves to sin. And we, in other words, we're, we're bound. We are held captive. He has all the power. He's influencing every thought, motive, action that we do. And we don't even realize it. Everything we do is infused with sin. Because of the sin nature and its power over everyone who is in Adam. Then spiritual death, because of what is in Adam, says that we are distanced from God. God's not even near us. We're not even within arm's reach of God to say, okay, God, I I see them. I'm over here and then you're over there. So let me see which one I want. No, we're spiritually dead, which which means God had to separate himself from the human race. Because of their sinfulness, because of his righteousness. And so, um, that was what was normative for us, became our experience uh, as sinners. And we think everything's okay because everybody else does the same things we do. And we can always look at others and, and say, well, I'm better than that one, even though I'm not as good as the one over here, but I'm better than the one over there. So that's how it goes in, um, in Adam. So Christ comes along and says, you're dead. You're born in sin. And and there was a power over you that you didn't even realize was over you. And And in this age, that power is broken. In this age. Prior to this, it wasn't broken. But in this age, it's broken. And now you are able to not only be in Christ, but... The power of the sin nature is he is no longer your master. The old man, old, should already say, old meaning is not new, Is not what's happening with you anymore. He's the old man, Paul calls it in Romans 6. So in this case, recognizing that that power is over you is a part of understanding the bad news. And then uh, the... uh, The influence now that God has given believers in this age is the power of the Spirit. It's what he's given us. So the impetus, right, the motivation to do what is good is now been implanted in you. When we say implanted, this is God the Holy Spirit. He won't just be with us for a time. He will be with us forever. We always will have the power of the Spirit. Now, of course, we won't need the power of the Spirit to help us overcome sin once we get to the eternal state, will we? We will have a resurrection body. We will be... There won't be any sin nature. It will be done. It will be eradicated. And we... Our use, I should say, of the Spirit will be from a different standpoint. He is our capability. He is our cognizance. He is our uh, understanding of the the deep things and and the our role in the eternal state the holy spirit becomes all who who we are what we need to be in order to have this eternal fellowship with the father son and the holy spirit so in this when he's he's making a point for those who are led by the children, spirit of god are the children of god that's the the, the power that we have as children of God is the influence led by the spirit means the influence of the spirit. Listen, if spirit is in you, he is not just wasting time. The spirit took residence in your body. He made your body a temple when you were born again, when you were saved. And he is not wasting any time. His objective is to get you to the place where you reach the fullness and stature of Christ to bring you to maturity so you can understand the fullness and uh, of all that God has given us in this age. This is why we're supposed to be heralds of this age, to go out and tell others what God has done for us and how the body of Christ functions in this world through uh, the members of the Trinity, indwelling each person who was in the church all of us are temples just imagine israel huddled around one temple in the old testament and they carried the temple they had all these special regulations about how to carry the temple and and wherever they go they had to pitch a camp and and then how they had to strike it and then pick up and move the whole camp to somewhere else and and how all the rules and regulations of how they're going to handle the the sacred temple with its holy place and its most holy place and the articles of furniture. Well, in this age, every church-age believer is the temple of the living God. Every church-age believer. I don't even care if they're a baby believer. They are the temple of the living God. And as the Spirit is in you, He is vying to get everyone not only enlightened to the truth, but empowered to walk in the truth. All truth. So this is, this is the norm for the Christian way of life. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. If you don't have this leading in your life, if the Holy Spirit is in you, but just if anything's failing, it won't be because of the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God is grieved or quenched for any reason... It's not because of something he did. It's because of a decision you made. Or decisions that you are making. Not because he is, he is about his father's business. Just like Christ. He loved the father. So does the spirit. He loves the father. And he's busy doing his job. Just like Christ was. So you can bet that the spirit of God is doing what the spirit of god is supposed to do. What we have to make sure we understand is that is being sensitive to the influence of the spirit, learning to walk in that truth, and it so it, it becomes familiar to us and we our minds are renewed from the life the dead life in adam. So as that process goes on, we're we're constantly Getting rid of the old programming, the Holy Spirit is constantly getting the new program. Now we can't get rid of the old program, just to note, it is overcome by the new programming of the spirit. That's how you come to know the truth. That's how you repent and as a believer, right? So what happens? You are involved in some thinking or some some action, some behavior that's wrong. The Holy Spirit gives you light on it. That's how you know. That's how you are able to to see it. And then once you have more light than the darkness, the darkness is overcome. And now, but the only way that happens is if you make a decision to walk in truth. You can't just say, "Well, I already I know exactly what's wrong, but I'm not going to do what was was right." Right? Knowing what's wrong is one part of what the Holy Spirit does, because we wouldn't even know it. The Holy Spirit didn't make us aware of it. Once we know it, we have to make a decision to walk in truth. We walk in truth, it actually dispels the darkness that's in our life. So that we have been transformed in that particular area. That's not complete, right? It's gradual. So then God takes other areas and we are transformed at little by little it is not something that happens all at once some transformation is just a way of thinking right so we were thinking wrong in this area the holy spirit comes and now helps us think right now there's no works that we do but like we said before those are building blocks in our soul so that we can think right that we can have the right way of thinking and the right motivation as opposed to wrong motivation so, so this is a statement of fact for the normal Christian life. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's, that's who we are, and that's the motivation. We could say the same thing about Adam. Those who are, who are controlled, who are dominated by the sin nature, are in Adam. Right? That's, that's clear. They're in Adam, and they're, they're under sin. So, so, what we want to do is make sure we distinguish as we think about walking because this is what this all is about, how you live and this is why we need to pay close attention to it, don't we? It's not something you have to dwell upon to the to the extent where every day you have to read these scriptures over and over, but you need to understand them, and it needs to be come normative in your life so that You begin to be sensitive to the Spirit's promptings, to his leading. Now, of course, you'll know right away when you resist it, (laughs) he'll let you know. He convicts you. When you look at those people earlier in Acts, right, where it says uh, they were cut to the heart. It was the Holy Spirit convicting them. Well, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, brought them to the knowledge of what they'd done. He brought them square to look straight ahead at what they did, and you know what they did? They were cut to the heart. They were like, "Wow, we were we were on the wrong side. We did that. What what could we do now?" And Peter said, "This is what you do. Just change your mind about Christ. Now you you, you thought he was some impostor, somebody who was tearing." you know, against the Jewish religion and, you know, all that. Now you need to know that he's the Savior of all men. This is the Lord from heaven. and You crucified him, Peter said. So, they changed their mind and they believed. That's what they were, they believed in the Savior. And they received reconciliation that very day. They were reconciled to God. So, If you got verse 14 down, you're led by the spirit of God. You are a child of God. We're going to move on and to understand a lot more about what happens for us who have the dynamic spiritual life that is in front of us here. Uh, So I'll just, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you are, That you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So we'll get to that next week, but I'll pause to see if there are any thoughts that we can clear up or anything I did not make clear in verse 13. It was good i hope i hope it was at least uh clear because there's a couple ways people look at this verse so but i'll just going to make sure we're good before we have a word of prayer and we'll close i know the hours is getting there all right i think silence is consent that there are no more questions so we're going to close with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. We are glad to be equipped in such a way as to have your spirit in us, leading and guiding and convicting and prompting and motivating us to to walk in truth. Thank you for that provision, which not only for that, but for that will be with us, he will be with us forever. Thank you for each person that is here and on the call. And we pray for all of us, we're living in this world and we recognize that this is not our home. And and we are praying for the people here who are suffering. We pray for uh, those uh, who are sick those who have lost loved ones we pray for those uh, who are protesting in the streets and all of the floyd uh, family and we pray for the entire situation lord we continue to to think that possibly we could save some we could bring the gospel and we could say our words of life to those who are out there in this world struggling to find their way to Christ. We thank you for putting us in in this opportunity to reach those who are lost. Each one of us have a, a sphere of influence of people that we can talk to and that we know. And we pray that we will be uh, used by you, that we will have the right words to say to those who who need those words desperately. So we thank you for this church, and we pray for believers everywhere who are doing the same thing we're doing, is growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we thank you that we have this opportunity, that you called us to be in this particular age. We didn't choose it. But you chose us to be here. And we thank you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen.